Good evening. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, and you are listening to the Elchar Chronicles. I'm your host, Karen Elchar. This program chronicles issues of law and order and our local justice system, the environment, and indigenous history with special guests that dig deep into topics less talked about here in the Lehigh Valley. Tonight's conversation is with Northampton County District Attorney Terrence Houck and Reverend Michael Comick, head Protestant chaplain employed by the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections, and we're talking about offering incarcerated individuals a second chance. Bit of background, since 2017, the month of April has been designated Second Chance Month. The purpose, of course, is to raise awareness of the consequences of a criminal conviction and provide second chance opportunities for persons who've completed their sentences to fully reintegrate into society. The Second Chance Act of 2007 was signed into law on April 9, 2008, by then-President George W. Bush and included an expansion of provisions for adult and juvenile offender state and local re-entry demonstration projects to provide expanded services to offenders and their families for re-entry into society. Continuing then, in December 2018, the 115th Congress passed and then President Donald Trump signed into law the First Step Act, which included reauthorization of the Second Chance Act through the year 2023, and it included projects to improve academic and vocational education for offenders during incarceration. So to further discuss second chances for incarcerated individuals, I am very pleased to welcome my guests, Northampton County District Attorney Terrence Houck and Reverend Michael Comick, head Protestant chaplain employed by the PA Department of Corrections. Welcome, and thank you both for coming in to address this topic. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much for having us. So a bit of background on our guests. We have District Attorney Houck, who graduated from the Philadelphia Police Academy, served as an officer with the Philadelphia Police Department for over nine years. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Criminal Justice from LaSalle University, a Master of Arts in Human Organization Science from Villanova University, and a Juris Doctor from Temple University. He began his prosecutorial career in 1986, as an assistant district attorney in Bucks County and was promoted through the ranks. And in, on January 6, 2020, District Attorney Houck was sworn in to begin his first term as Northampton County District Attorney. He's received numerous awards and commendations and lots of accolades, including the Chapel of the Four Chaplains Award for Bravery as a Philadelphia Officer and the Allied Professional Award for Outstanding Commitment to Crime Victims from the Crime Victims Council of the Lehigh Valley. And background on Reverend Comic. what I know basically is he's out of Newark, New Jersey, and he's been with the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections for 20 years. I'll also ask Mike to please give uh, just a little bit more about your background. Well, I'm one of those who benefited from a second chance. Uh, when 1995, I was jobless, homeless, and hopeless because of bad decisions, because of drug abuse and, and wrong living. And I wound up in an Allentown rescue mission. And because of the counselors at the rescue mission, I finished the program there. And from there, went to Bible school. Uh, Donald Wilkerson or Dave Wilkerson, who founded Teen Challenge, founded a Bible school in Sunray, Pennsylvania. I 
went there, graduated there with a bachelor's in, in biblical studies. And I went as a volunteer to a, a prison up there, and I fell in love with it. And uh, I believe that was my calling. I started as a volunteer, and I worked my way from volunteer to full-time. And now, 20 years later, I'm uh, I'm still there, loving what I do, uh, married for 22 years, uh, love kids, uh, part of a program here in the, in the Lehigh Valley called Midnight Basketball for the last uh, 15 years, and just love children and love kids and trying to make a difference, trying to help people because somebody helped me. So that's what that's where my heart is and where the second chance, uh, I think, with the problem that we have in society today, uh, we need something. And I would also say you are head Protestant chaplain yes. um, with the PA Department of Corrections. Getting into the topic at hand, so I'd like to start with describing a few of the programs being offered to incarcerated individuals, and I'd, I'd like to begin with Terrence Haucht. Can you give us kind of a thumbnail sketch? Sure, they have quite a few of them, but just so the listeners understand, um, before I get into that, I'd like to point out that, that my role in the system in seeking truth through the investigation and prosecution of criminal cases has to do with, obviously, uh, prior to someone being sentenced. However, with that being said, once a criminal uh, case is filed, a defendant has the ability to have his or case uh, often diverted through programs like uh, uh, pretrial intervention, uh, problem-solving courts, and, and things like that. So in and of itself, there's kind of a second chance there, and that, and that diverts these cases away and often allows for them not even to have criminal records. Uh, that's more uh, what I get involved in, but once someone is uh, is incarcerated uh, here in Northampton County, we have a we have a wonderful team of dedicated and talented people led by a man by the name of Chris uh, Williamson, who is the assigned reentry case manager here in the Northampton County Prison. Um, he and others in our system meet quarterly as part of a reentry coalition that constantly assesses the needs of inmates being released from prison. Some of the programs that are offered, uh, I think the prison's largest and most successful program is the LEAP, L-E-A-P program, which is linking to employment activities pre-release. Uh, it's run through the career, career link at Lehigh Valley and helps with life skills, pre-employment skills, uh, like resume building, interview techniques, uh, learning how to work the computer to, uh, for job searches and things of that nature. Um, this, uh, uh, it's reported to me, has, has really cut back on that recidivism rate and is, uh, is a wonderful tool for them to use. Um, these programs uh, are offered while uh, the inmate is still in prison, and some of them continue after uh, their release. There is also educational programs run by the Eastern Area School District in Northampton County Community College, which provide adult-based education that teaches basic life skills, English as a second language, and of course, uh, allows for the GED programs. Uh, another program that they have is our, our peer support specialist, uh, run by certified recovery specialist, CRS, dedicated to helping with treatment and reentry. Life coach is appointed while the inmate is incarcerated, and they continue in their counsel, the inmate, after he or she is released. This helps, obviously, with transition continuity. Uh, there's Pembroke Family Answers. This, this program was in place prior to the pandemic and is set to resume shortly. They conduct classes in anger management and parenting. This is also a program that begins when the inmate is incarcerated. And, of course, we also have the Haven House, which offers the Thrive Program, Transition, Hope for Future, Resiliency, Independence, Value, Empowerment. It assists people with mid-level mental health issues. The inmate is assigned a case manager who helps with appointments and other life issues, 
both pre- and post-release. Referrals are done 30 to 60 days prior to release. The Haven House also supplies additional programs for mental health needs after release. For example, the STARTS program takes an otherwise employable person, gets them housing for up to six months rent-free, and while in the program, the individual receives life skills and education in the hopes they will become self-sufficient. That's a few of them. Mm, quite extensive, quite frankly. Yes. So Reverend Comic will call you Mike. <laughs> so where you are located, can you talk about some of those programs? Are they commensurate with? Well, it's, it's different in the uh, once they get out of the county and go to state or, or federal institutions, uh, those programs mentioned are, are good. Uh, I would wonder what the caseload is with, with some of the uh, people that dedicate their lives to helping because so often on any level, the family structure can be so bad that you take a, a person out of prison and put them back into the same environment that they came out of where all their problems stemmed from and there's no support there, there's no help there. It's only a matter of time before they do what they know. When when, when criminals get put, pushed in the corner, they turn back to what they know and that's crime, drugs, and you know, things that will bring them in contact with the authority. You know, again, because uh, I, I know we have a lot of those who recidivism comes back six out of ten at levels where there's no spiritual or no uh, support system that is strong enough to it's it's good to have those programs uh, in place uh, finding the kids who are motivated to take advantage of them uh, is it's there but it's not strongly pushed in that you know I think that the Department of Corrections and, and the criminal system and, and, and whole can do a better job of uh, we don't reform our uh, inmates. We, we have programs set there for them if they want to be reformed. But there's not enough mandatory, in my opinion, not enough mandatory classes and stuff that they need to take in order to provide for that. Now, on a county time. It's a lot easier, but when they get to the, the state and federal where they're doing long time, uh, they don't have that same chance to take advantage of those kind of programs that would help them towards release. D.A. Houck, your thoughts? Yes. Reverend Mike's right on the money here. Uh, you know, uh, he's involved in a system, the state system, and that has to be understood, if, if anything is, during this program, that, that, that the inmates that he's, he's coming in contact with are usually are inmates that are getting significantly long, longer sentences, okay? In uh, Northampton County, uh, the county sentences are, are shorter, and these programs that I described to you are available to every person that wants them, and, and that is the key, that you have to want them, uh, you have to be willing to, to put in the time and the work, and the resources are available to everyone, everyone that, that says that they want something like this. The advantage to these programs, at least from a county perspective, is that they begin while the inmate is still incarcerated and continue after release. Uh, this creates a, a continuity that allows for maximum effectiveness. But there is a substantial difference. I mean, with Reverend Mike's uh, clientele, the, the, what he's going through, you're not just talking about longer sentences. You're also talking about more serious crimes because the serious crimes get the longer sentences. So he has, a, he has, a issue, he has issues of, like, problem issues that are not to the scale that we have here in the county. Reverend Mike, do you want to make a comment on that? And, and, and he's right. There's, and my, my desire is that, because I speak to guys who 
go through the county system and don't learn. And then they go back out there and commit a crime. And now they elevated to the state level because they didn't take advantage of the programs that were out there. And I don't know if that's because family didn't support it. They didn't want it, you know, because as as, as as DA said, if you don't want it, I mean, you can have all the programs you want set up for them if the person isn't motivated to change. And I believe that comes, that starts at home. In our midnight basketball program with some 300 kids a season, three quarters of them come from single household families where the female is the head of the household. So there's no male figure there to, she could be the greatest mother in the world. She wasn't created to be a father, to teach a man how to be a man or teach a boy how to be a man. So that challenge is there and it winds up in he's in the system and now the system has to teach him and their resistance against any kind of authority. Uh, I try to befriend to the degree that I can uh, just respect gets respect and trying to let the guys in the, in, the, in the state level know that you have to want this. You have to want to change in order to make anything happen. There's people out here that will help you. But a lot of us, and I know the DA has probably run across many of them. You reach out to help them. And then three weeks later, they're back in your office. You know, yeah, they done, they done yeah. recommitted, you know, and it's like, come on, man. Uh, I have guys that I would know that if they had one shot, they would never come back. They have long-term sentences where guys that had short that came into the state, they got three and four different numbers. They keep on coming back. Terry? Yeah, this is the whole, this is like the Ginepkinop. It's the, it's the, uh, it's, it's the, the glitch in, in all this. There, there, no program will be forced on anyone. They won't do that. First off, it's a waste of time and it's a waste of money. You have to want it. And by the way, this applies right across the board, Karen. This isn't just to people that are attempting to re-enter. This has to do with people with mental health issues, people with drug issues, and, and, and things like that. They have to want the treatment. You can't force the treatment on them because it will fail, and it will fail repeatedly. And we see that all the time when, when drug programs are forced upon defendants that plead guilty and things of that nature. They fail all the time. You, you have to want it, and you have to, you have to uh, work for it. And if you don't do that, first off, at least with the reentry programs here, if you don't ask for it, if you don't want it, they will not force it. They will go to the people that are asking for it. Mm-hmm. So let me go to, to Reverend Mike. So in essence, based on your, your opinions and, and the experience that you've had, do you see where your work takes you? Do you see that the individual's residence, as you've called them actually, at the prison, that they, they take advantage of these programs? A large amount do. There's always those who don't. And even part of that large amount that, that does, uh, some of them do it just out of curiosity. They don't know what to do. They've exalted, exhaust all of their uh, efforts of trying to, you know, some guys come into prison and think that, you know, some miracle is going to happen and they're going to be out in the streets in two weeks. Well, after 10 years of no miracle, now they realize that, you know, I'm here for a while and I, and I need to change my way of thinking and change my life. I try to direct them to inmates that I am experienced with and, and know well that are, have done 10, 20, 30, 40 years Take those young ones and go, go talk to him. He came in here when he was 18. Now he's 60. You know, he's not the same person, but he can't get a second chance. 
he's been trying and it's not there, but you're young enough to be able to turn your life around and you will leave here within 10 years or so. So, you know, you try to help them that way because they they learn, I think, better or receive better from uh, their peers if, if they because they can talk their language. They kind of understand when they're gaming them and when they're, they're serious. Uh, one of my uh, pet peeves because of my background is I tell them all the time, game, recognize game. I came from the streets. I understand truth and I understand when you're just talking just because you want something from me. So I don't allow that to uh, to be part of our conversation. If you're sincere about what you want to do, I'll help you in any, any way I can. If you're not, then as, as DA says, stop wasting my time because mm-hmm. there's, there's X amount of thousand inmates in the building that I'm in. So it's, I don't need, you know, to waste time with those who aren't sincere. Mm-hmm. So let me just take a moment here um, just briefly to reintroduce my guests. So we have Northampton County District Attorney Terrence Hoke on the line, as well as Reverend Michael Comick, who is head Protestant chaplain employed by the PA Department of Corrections. So let me turn to, I know we started with a brief explanation as to the offering of second chances, but let me turn to another document. So on March 31st, 2021, President Biden issued a proclamation supporting second chances. He suggested that one way of supporting second chances is by eliminating exceedingly long prison sentences and mandatory minimums that keep people incarcerated longer than they should be. I'm going to refer first to Reverend Mike to start the discussion on this one because of your experience and your observations and your interest. Most of the long-term sentence guys, uh, they don't see hope. I would love to see some sort of incentive-based bill, incentive-based procedures take place where guys can earn a second chance. Uh, I would like to see the victims advocates, the DA department, everybody come to the table and work out a criteria that if the men achieve all those obstacles that they've earned the opportunity for a second chance. I'm not saying at all open the gates and just let everybody out but allow those who have changed. Like I said before, when they come in at 18, 19, 20, 21, and now they're 50, 60, they're not the same person. They've changed. Prison life changed you. For those out there that may think that prison is a country club, you are wrong. It, 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 it will change your life, and it doesn't change it for the better unless you want it to change it for the better. And then still there's obstacles. So an incentive base, uh, complete classes, complete courses, don't get write-ups, you know, and your counselors and, and people there will see a change and get recommendations from the prison and others. You know, we had some things set up in place, but they're not real. The DOC and, and, and the prison system in general are very reactive, and I don't know why, but they're slow in being proactive, and I would like to see more proactive things. And I understand, you know, you you got like 51,000 inmates in the state prison. So you can't just open the floodgates where people have all kind of loopholes to get out. But to make things easier by incentive-based uh, programs that teaches them how to make that transition from prison life to back into society, becoming uh, productive citizens and Truthfully, being able to help our young people today with uh, the lifestyles and all the uh, things that they're going through, our crime rate, especially the, the homicides, is, is, is off the charts. And 
those men that are behind bars, in my opinion, I believe could help. But uh, to give a second chance too, because they know what it is to have taken a life and had a life sentence and somehow had it reduced or, you know, they had a chance to get back and, and give back to society. They can, they can speak to those who are out here thinking that there's no hope because uh, there is hope. But, you know, you got to know where to go look for that. Terry, comment. Yeah, this is something that's a little more in my wheelhouse. I, in Pennsylvania, in the state of Pennsylvania, okay, our judges are directed by uh, sent- sentencing guidelines. Now, these sentencing guidelines list the appropriate sentence for each offense, okay? They have a standard range. They have an, an aggravated range and a mitigated range. And when somebody commits a crime, and, and you have to understand, the district attorney here, I have a, a number of priorities here. Number, first and foremost, I have to keep people safe, right? I have to make sure that these crimes are, are eliminated or, or, or cut down upon. And I have to keep victims safe, okay? And at the same time, you have to make sure that somebody answers for what they've done. Some are more serious than others. Some are very violent. Um, some have long-lasting impacts on families and victims. And that has to be recognized. And although I, I understand what the Reverend's saying, I also understand that there's a portion of, of people that, that are forever affected by acts that they had nothing to do with, that they were totally innocent. Now, when these guide, and these guidelines, by the way, that I'm referring to are currently being completely revamped and will be, they'll be um, updated next year. So when somebody comes before a judge with a particular act, a particular crime that they've pled guilty to or were convicted of, there is an opportunity for that person to present mitigation, so to speak, you know, mental health reports, uh, uh, drug addiction treatment, things of that nature that, that would mitigate what, what they did. In the same vein, the, the victims have an opportunity, to, the Commonwealth, I should say, has an opportunity to present uh, victim statements and things that may aggravate uh, the crime. For, uh, for example, if a father is driving in a car and he's DUI and he's got a one-year-old in the back seat um, and gets involved in an accident, well, then the fact that he has the child with him would aggravate uh, or at least you would argue that would aggravate the crime of DUI. And there's and there's a hundred uh, examples like that. So you have this kind of thing. So you have a very strict sentencing code that judges follow. So when you use the word exceedingly long sentences, I, I sometimes I think I have a problem with that because, at least, and, and I can only speak for Northampton County. I mean, the Reverend would have a better idea where the sentences are coming from other parts of the state. But but here in Northampton County, I mean, this, this these guidelines are followed and they're respected, and I would say that, that the defendants are, are appropriately sentenced. So when you use the word exceedingly long, it implies that there was a sentence given that wasn't appropriate at the time. Now, whether or not they deserve second chances, well, I'll leave that to the Reverend to argue, but um, for me and, and my obligation to, to the community to keep them safe, I think that the sentencing guideline structure we have in place right now is appropriate, and I, I frankly, I support it. And, and as I said, it's being updated to conform to the times more. Hmm. Reverend Mike? I agree with the uh, protecting the citizens and the victims. I don't want for a minute for for any victim to think that, you know, I'm I'm not considering their feelings and their loved one who has been taken from them. But the person, through whatever the circumstances was that caused that crime, 40 years later, they're not the same person, and they have gone through the grievance process and all of that, and they would be able to, uh, they're not even capable in some cases of even living that form of lifestyle. Uh, my su- suggestion and my fight is, 
and Northampton may not have that, but I'm talking about the big cities of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and Newark and New York and all those where crime rates are off the charts. All I ask is that because I've known maybe 10 and 10 is 10 too many. I've known personally that after X amount of years, they were exonerated because what they said from the beginning that it wasn't them. And I know that's a hard job, district attorney, to get all the the, the evidence and for the citizens to speak up and, and say things that would help you do your job. So I understand all that. But when someone has done 10 years for something they did, they didn't do that's, that's hard. And if just one person had to do that time for something he didn't do, imagine every night him sitting in his bed saying, I I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I've seen people hang up, which is suicide in, in prison. So because they felt that they had no hope, they had no, no, no chance of having the right wrongs in their lives. It's not a quick fix, and I understand that. And I've seen some of the laws change. I've seen some of the guys who have been down fighting for themselves because our, our most popular place in the prison is the law library. <laughs> They're in there every day fighting for their lives. And, and, I've seen, uh, and I've seen things change. So I pray that you know some of the laws will, will ease up a little more. Uh, Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, or uh, other commonwealths are the only uh, state where life means life. In other places, life, I think, is 25 years. But something needs to change because an innocent life, a, a, a life that can be rehabilitated, I think we should try to take the every opportunity we can to do that. That's why I always say bring everybody to the table because the victim who's loved one is no longer here or has been hurt badly. They have a voice and they need to be heard, you know, but I know some families who have lost loved ones who have, who have pleaded in the defendant's uh, case to give him a second chance. And I'll turn to Terry, District Attorney Houck. So do we have an additional pathway other than what we've already discussed? Is there anything else that can be done to assist, provide the inmates uh, a second chance? First off, we got off a little bit on the on the guys that are in jail, men and women that are in jail that didn't commit the offense. And, yeah. you know, obviously that's a whole topic for another day. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm on the same page as the Revan on that at all. But uh, that's not really what we're here for. With respect to second chances, now you have a board, uh, a state, and, and he could probably speak of this better than me. You have a state board of pardons that deals with these issues. And my thing is that the voice of the victim and their family needs to be heard, whatever it is, whether they're pleading for the release or whether they're, they're saying we're still permanently affected by this. And it seems like as the years pass, their voice seems to be heard less and less. Yeah. You know, so, and, and I get from the state prisons, I get every time that, that somebody comes up for a parole, or I get a, a notification of that, and I get to tell them what my position is. I don't know how much it affects them. And the victims get the same thing as that. There's also pardons and clemencies that are constantly filed throughout, throughout the state. And I can tell you, I'm, I get a ton of them all the time that people ask for. And they do that when they're incarcerated. They do that after they get out of jail to, to try to erase their record. And so we have, we have vehicles in place. And I think maybe the first concentration should be let's, let's tighten that up. Let's, let's get standards for that. That, that would uh, better represent everybody's interest here. I mean, you know, if a guy has changed 
if a woman has changed, then let the Board of Pardons know that. And let, you know, maybe they need to have a little more courage and step up and, and have a little more faith in, 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 the, in the people that are coming before them. Uh, if it can truly be shown that they're different and, and the victims are, are in agreement with that. So so I think the first line it would be, you know, when they have these early parole hearings and, you know, these parole hearings prior to their their first, uh, I guess, their minimum, um, that they that they deal they deal hard with that because I know that a lot of them don't. So, you know, I think, I think the first and foremost thing would be to tighten that up. Well, I, I do thank you for running short of time. I thank both of you very much. So my guests have been Northampton County District Attorney Terrence Houck and Reverend Michael Comick, who is head Protestant chaplain employed by the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. So I thank you both immensely for this opportunity to come together and really have an excellent discourse. My thanks to both of you. Thank you. It was nice to speak with you both. Thank you, listeners, for making time for this conversation. You can also find past episodes and other public affairs programming at WDIY.org and on major podcast platforms. I'm Karen Elchar, and this is WDIY 88.1 FM. Tune in next Thursday for more Lehigh Valley Discourse, and we'll see you next time on the Elchar Chronicles.